What's up, everybody? Esoteric Eddie here. Namaste. Welcome to Thursday Q&A, where I read and respond to your inquiries. If you want to be a part of the show, send me something at contact at esotericeddie.com. That email will be in the description. You can also DM me stuff at esotericeddie.com. On Instagram, just keep the subject line Thursday Q&A so that way I know what to sift through. If you'd like to remain anonymous, please state that. If you'd like a shout out, please state that as well. Thank you. Today we're going to have a light read. (laughs) If anything on this channel can be considered light. Um, We're going to be going into a person who has been hearing voices for several months. We'll be going into um, the fact that most people do not care and why they don't care. And then wrapping it up with a little bit of Jesus. Is he real or not? So kick back, relax, let me do my thing, and uh, get it going. All right, so as usual... um, some of these came from me, came to me from email, from Instagram, and stuff like that. And please send me some stuff, man. Come on, you know, ask me anything. It doesn't have to be esoteric or cult. You can ask me anything. You can say anything. You can be anonymous. It can be, I can give you a shout out. You know, um, let's have fun with it. You know. So, this one came from uh, an email, and the dude said. That he heard about me on Sam Tripoli's podcast. And he says here, I have been experiencing voices for about seven months now. Communicating in detail about this subject. Um, The subject being consciousness. Because he's referring to my crystal lattice mind illusion presentation that I did on Sam Tripoli's tinfoil hat podcast. And he says, some of the themes and information matched up so closely, I had to message. Your description of two minds, once able to speak with each other, stuck out. Now, real quick, for those of you who have not read my book, watched the documentary, or heard me speak about the Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion on any podcast, let me briefly explain to you what he is talking about, or what he is referring to here. So... There is a theory titled the Bicameral Mind Theory, uh, put together by Julian Jaynes in the 90s, I believe. And basically, Julian Jaynes realized that all of our functions, whether that's seeing, hearing, feeling, have counterparts on each side of the brain. Right there, there's a side for hearing on the right side of the brain, and then a side for hearing on the left side of the brain, and they work in conjunction. But strangely, language, for whatever reason, language, and I guess speech, uh, only has one functioning part in the brain, and it's either on the left or right, depending on who you are. But there is a counterpart. Uh, a counterpart part to the language area of the brain opposite of it it's simply inactive and so Julian Jaynes postulated that this inner voice that most of us hear 
in our minds when we're thinking might have been much more present in ancient times. And let me pause there for a second and say, it's actually really wild that only about half of the Earth's population has an inner voice. So when you're sitting there and you're thinking in your mind and you see a bird fly by and you say, oh, wow, that's a strange bird or whatever in your mind. Only half of the world's population has that ability to hear their own voice in their head. The other half doesn't have that ability. And that's strange. Um, I would like to meet somebody who doesn't have that ability. If you are one of those people that does not have the ability to hear your own voice in your head, please send me a message and tell me about your, your experience. How do you perceive the world, man? Because people out here think that you are an NPC. But Esoteric 80's got love for you. Hey, man. Everybody is a person. Uh, yo, but... Yeah, so uh, Julian James, he believed that this inner voice is, is actually a diminished reflection of what might have been a louder, more prominent voice that we used to hear. And this might explain why our ancient ancestors were always communing with gods and communing with the ancestors and the spirits and stuff like that. So it might have been this weird survival function for us or something like this weird, like extra sensory perception that would warn us of things you know we might be like walking in and, and maybe this is this is how we discovered like plant medicines and stuff like that because when you ask a lot of the natives you know how did you learn that this plant when coupled with this plant and burned at this temperature and mixed with this creates this medicine they always say the plants told us which is pretty wild you know that we just accept that answer like oh the plants told you yeah of course right <laughs> and so so this function might have been like some strange interdimensional hyper conscious connection that we had with source that 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 allowed us to survive you know like we're walking in a forest and then we hear that bicameral mind speak to us hey man there's a panther over there. You should turn around and run away. Like, oh, thank you, spirits. Thank you, source. You know, so I, I think it was like some functional thing that had to do with survival or something. You know, it was a connection to source in some weird way. But over time, we lost that. And Julian Jaynes believes that we lost it um, not that long ago, actually. He believes that we lost it only like a few thousand years ago. And that a lot of our Sumerian, Babylonian, Akkadian ancestors and stuff like that still had it even the greeks he believe even the early greeks still had the bicameral mind and that it's evident in their literature in the way that they spoke about themselves and life and yeah so that that faint voice that we still hear to this day in our mind is a reflection of that anyways man getting back to the email uh, yeah so your description of two minds once able to speak with each other stuck out this seems to be what I am doing now and experiencing. It's been a non-stop, odd and strange experience. Your comments about subconscious being ahead of your language mind, that is just slightly faster, seems to be completely accurate. Again, let me pause here. Um, but let me check my phone while I do. Okay, we're good. Uh, 
so what he's referring to here is is this whole new theory about the subconscious mind that has been developed as of lately, stating that everything we do is actually reenacted through a strange deja vu. Let me put this a better way. So uh, everything that we do was already thought out like a millisecond or quicker before we did it. So in a sense, we're kind of like our own puppets. Our subconscious mind is saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to reach for this glass. Before we actually reach for the glass, before we even think about reaching for the glass, our subconscious mind is already saying we're gonna reach for the glass. So there's a new theory out there about the subconscious mind that I call the deja vu theory. I don't know what the name is. I, f- I forgot uh, the guy's name, but um, I think Andrew Budzin. Andrew Budzin is one of the researchers who's leading this deja vu theory about the subconscious mind that states that every action we do is already pre-thought we are and even pre-acted in a sense we are just simply reliving the experience afterward in some strange deja vu and so that kind of goes with the whole simulation theory and the fact that you know we're not really our bodies we're programmed somewhere else and we're kind of just acting all of this out in a strange way so he says here This mechanic sometimes being taught to me by them, the voices, by purposely interrupting me with a reply to my question, just to start to ask it mentally. So he's saying here that he's having these questions in his mind, and as he's asking these questions, the voices interject with an answer. I mean, that sounds like the bicameral mind, for sure. Uh, Let's go. He says... They say, they say, my voices, in parentheses, that it is possible to jailbreak your brain, so to speak, and once again communicate with the subconscious. But to do this, it's an uncomfortable state to get used to, and there is no option to toggle it on and off. This is in response to me asking, should I even talk about this to people? Huh. So it's an uncomfortable state, and there's no option to toggle it on and off. Woo, that sounds sounds uh, dangerous, man. That sounds exhausting. Like what? There's no, there's no like switch the bicameral mind notification off. Like, yo, man, I'm going to sleep. Can you guys shut up? So if you break your brain and get into the bicameral mind mode. You can't shut it off. I don't know if I could deal with that, man. I mean, my mind is crazy as it is. I mean, my own thoughts are wild. I don't need my subconscious mind butting in. You know, like, dude, I already have a hard time trying to, like, get things done. But, uh, yeah, let me see here. So you're so this person is asking themselves if they should even be talking about this. Well, that's... It's a good sign. I feel like being skeptical and reflective of these types of things is is healthy because, as I've said before, you know, there's a thin line between madness and genius. There's a thin line between schizophrenia and spiritual awakening. So I think it's very healthy to have a skeptical mind about these things and take it with ease because you can you can break your brain and, and there can be a point of no return and 
then you're left with all the bicameral minds just coming at you. So he says here, In trying to research this topic for my own mental health, I tried to talk to others who experience psychosis, voices, or schizophrenia. It took several people to finally come into contact with someone who experienced the same kind of voices with the same complexity. She sent me this document that I that really hit home compared to the general mental health fact articles about voices. It described my experiences much more closely and I was able I was finally able to relate, especially the descriptions of higher and lower order voices. This mingles with your reptilian brain network. Huh. <clears throat> Hold up. Let me let me open up this PDF. Real quick, real quick. Before I do that, let me make sure. Okay, just making sure the audio is working. What? Presence of spirits in madness. Sorry, I'm not. I don't have the functionality to. Oh wait, hold on. Let me screen record this real quick. Hold up! Hold up! Hold up! Okay. Um, twelve fifty-nine. I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna write that down. So I can edit a whole lot quicker. All right, so right here we have this this PDF he sent called, uh, what the heck is it? Who's this guy? Is that the bicameral mind man, the mascot of the bicameral mind? It looks like the dude that would be in your bicameral mind, just like, Hello, sir. Today we're going to have many intrusive thoughts on the bus. Like, no bicameral mind, man. I don't want to yell obscenities at the girl just trying to enjoy herself. All right. So, what is this PDF about, dude? The pre Oh, Swedenborg. All right, for sure, dude. Yeah, I've been meaning to get into this guy. So, apparently Swedenborg is a very it was a very or was and is a very influential um esotericist. The presence of spirits and madness and confirmation of Swedenborg in recent empirical findings. Oh, dude, this is fire. I gotta, I gotta read this for sure. Damn, sorry, y'all, but I'm gonna have to like do a breakdown of this on another day. Let's dive into a little bit though. Let's see here. When Wilson Van Dusen wrote the presence of spirits and madness, he was chief psychologist at Mendocino State Hospital in California. A shout out to Cali, baby, California. Knows how to buy camera mind. Yo. Uh, where he worked among the mentally ill for 17 years. In his spare time, he had discovered a way of getting an unusually accurate detailed picture of the inner experience of hallucinations. Unfortunately, the press of other administrative responsibilities took him away from his fascinating area towards the design of national programs, especially in drug abuse treatment. He now lives the life of a busy scholar. He describes himself as a primarily phenomenologist. So on and so forth. Man, okay, this is this is a, a, a fascinating read, dude. Sorry, y'all, but I just don't have the time right now to dig into this. But I'm definitely going to be doing a deep dive on that.
Okay, okay, getting back to this. So, um, he says here, sorry for the long ramble. My purpose for the message is to send something you may have found interesting or helpful. I definitely did. Thank you for the article. Um, I would also, I also would appreciate very much any insights you might have yourself on this subject or perhaps being able to point me to more research about this topic. Thank you. Oh, man. I mean, geez, that, that was fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. You know, um, but yes, they're, they're I, like I uh, said in my book, <laughs> there are a, a lot of scientific experiments out there and, and research papers analyzing this whole strangeness about our language aspect of the brain only having one active part and a lot of these researchers have found that schizophrenic people have both parts active so it's strange why would we evolve to have these two parts active if it at some point why would we have two parts I guess that would, I guess uh, maybe so if one part gets damaged and the other one slowly becomes active so you don't fully lose it, maybe, but still, it's like, why would, why would we be made with two language aspects, two, two voices in the mind if it wasn't for a use at some point? And I personally think that use was a survival thing like I explained earlier, you know, but it could have been a spiritual thing where we literally communicated through that part of our brain. I want to see what that part of the brain looks like, man. What's language part of the brain? What does that even look like, dude? It's called the Wernick's area. The Wernick's area is a critical language area in the posterior superior temporal lobe. Connecting to the broke. All right, man, come on. Um, I don't know. It just looks like a worm. <laughs> a wormy bicameral mind. Okay, dude. So, yeah, that was wild, man. I, I love that. All right, so let's get into the next inquiry for uh, Thursday Q&A. This one came to me from Instagram. And, um, yeah, this one actually, actually we're going to go into Jesus first and then we'll end with why do people not care? Because the Jesus one is right here and took me a while to find this one. All right. So <clears throat> homie here says, my thoughts are, or he says, could you tell me what your thoughts are on who or what Jesus was? Do you believe he is truly God or was he sent here from God to communicate his words to humanity? Or is it completely BS? My thoughts are he was an ascended master, Yeshua that came to teach humanity enlightenment. Jesus, as we're taught, never existed. We are all God. He ends there. Dude, what if Jesus was a bicameral mind Messiah? You know? Here to pull us by our ear and say, Listen, man! Uh, I wrote back saying, what did I say? I said, well, it's a complex subject that I don't think anyone really has a factual conclusion on. Uh, 
However, at this point, I'd say he was a real political figure that followed the Essene teachings, Book of Enoch, and modeled himself after the Essene's teacher of righteousness. Once he was killed or escaped, I think the church masked it, masked it all in mythology and shifted the focus to the church as mediators of heaven rather than the teacher teachings of self-enlightenment and personal relationship with God. Yeah, I still stand by that, you know. Um, I did. I've done a few things on the Essenes, of course, Gnosticism and the Book of Enoch. And uh, man, when we read the accounts that spoke about the early Christians, the original Christians, we read that these people were were hippies, man. They were communal hippies, and uh, they resembled the Essenes more than anything. And the Essenes were a strange group of basically Jewish Christians. You know, there's some, I guess some of them were Jews, some of them were, were um, Aramaic-speaking Jews, um, even Greek Jews. You know, it was, it was a blend of these people, these kind of like hippie outcasts who started following the teachings of Jesus and, and they were very messianic and communal and stuff like that. Um, but, but what scholars have found and pointed out is that a lot of Jesus's teachings coincide with, with the teachings of the Essenes and the Essenes for the most part were the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls, if I'm not mistaken. I always get the Dead Sea and the Nag Hammadi library kind of mixed up, but I believe it was the Dead Sea, the, the Dead Sea Scroll community were were primarily Essenes. And so a lot of that stuff, a lot of the Gnostic teachings and a lot of the Book of Enoch are reflected in the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. So um, that's why I said that. And, and the, it was, what's strange is that the a lot of the uh, Gnostic teachings and the uh, Essenic teachings spoke about this teacher of righteousness specifically those that the writings that came before jesus of course spoke of this teacher of righteousness who was to come and, and kind of like preach enlightenment and stuff like that so it's strange how it all kind of um transpired but man jesus such a big subject and it's something that i do not have a full conclusion on and it's something that i do plan on finally sitting down and looking at in full in the way that I do to come up with a conclusion for everybody through the form of a book and documentary per usual. And I may even start that now. I'm getting ready to start my, my start writing my fourth book and I, I'm having trouble deciding on what I want it to be about. And I might, I might do it on Jesus. I might be ready to actually sit down and analyze that. But yeah, if anything, I think that Jesus was a real political figure who had some psychedelic experiences who realized the matrix and the simulation and and awoke to his full nature um, and could see being could see behind all of the lies and decided to teach against the powers of his time and that eventually got him killed um, but of course there are theories that he didn't get killed that he survived and escaped and had family in France and that whole thing so I, I believe I believe that at the very least he was a, a political figure who um, 
was taken down because he just knew too much. He was too too powerful, too wild, you know, a loose cannon. And that the church martyred him ideologically and, and fused his martyrdom and his tale with the mythologies of the pagan traditions so that they could insert themselves as the mediators, right? Because Jesus, talk, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of heaven being within. He spoke about communal efforts, you know, about personal connection with God and then the church came in and then created this freaking institution this whole institution in which now to get to God you have to go through them and they they throw Jesus um, in the middle of that to make you feel guilty they literally have his dead body hanging on a cross you know or whatever and say what you don't love him you don't love the guy you're not going to give me $20 right now Huh? You're not going to give me $20 in this basket because you don't love the guy. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's pathetic, you know? So, yeah, I can't get too deep on that one, man, because it's just, it's, it's way too deep. And, and I have yet to fully look in, into it myself, but that's what I believe as of right now. But other than that, man, I grew up believing in Christ. You know, I, I grew up on that good old American Christianity and that good old Hispanic Catholicism. And so ever since I was a child, I, I've been praying to Jesus, you know, and as an adult now, it's a bit strange to do so simply because I have all of this academic knowledge or whatever, you know, but I still believe in Christ. I still pray to Christ and still tune myself to that energy. You know, it's, it's, it's JC, man, the homeboy Jay Crizzle. But yo, let me get into the final inquiry of the day, night, evening, interdimensional, non non time existing, uh, vortical shaft in which you are in. <clears throat> Let's see here. Um, where is it? All right, so the homie here says, so my question is, why does nobody care? Why does nobody care, man? I think human origins and finding the truth of it all is the most important shit in this life. But 95% of the people I come across have no clue whatsoever on what's going on and they don't care to know. There's no breath in motherfuckers. <laughs> As he writes, yo, and look, I have had this same sentiment many, many times throughout my life. You know, I've got a righteous anger that exists within me. And <coughs> excuse me, when I was younger, I was so much more angry at the world. I'm angry now. I'm, st I'm still angry, but I'm more angry from like a bitter just older man plumber standpoint you know i just these damn idiots and their plumbing problems you know like i'm, I'm still angry and bitter but it's not the same anger and angst that i had as a child or as a younger person you know i used to when i started learning all this stuff i was so angry at the world like why can't they realize that the illuminati are reptilians eating uh, babies and sucking our blood and brainwashing us through nickelodeon <laughs> you know like I, I was super angry about it and I had to learn how to chill out and 
realize that you know it's not for everybody to to realize these things it's not for everybody to to cope with them and 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 uh stuff like that but i'll read you my verbatim answer and i'll dive a little more into it so i said to the homie what up no worries well my friend i think i uh what i think i sorry i don't know what the heck happened there i don't know how i misspelled that well my friend i think oh oh okay well my friend i think in order for people to care they first have to know what there is to care about most people are sincerely convinced that what the news shows is accurate what the grocery store has in stock is healthy and what the authorities tell them is true many of us today are experiencing an awakening and it can be frustrating frightening and difficult it's a growing pain result from us shedding our old selves and becoming our new selves Many people are apathetic because they are depressed from grinding nonstop from, for the 9 to 5 machine, eating unhealthy foods, and aren't exploring their artistic sides. We have to focus on ourselves first and curate an example to lead by. When we overcome our own obstacles and show results through undeniable energy and success, people will catch on. Those still stuck in lower vibrations will react negatively because it offends and threatens their comfort in misery. Those who aren't fully infected by the corruption and depression will look at you in admiration. We have to give people something to care about, and people only care when you win. So we got to get out there, win, and tell people how and why we won. We wake them up through challenging their perception with amazing works. People don't care because they are broken, and us who are awake can slowly repair them with our energy, compassion, and example. Hope this helps, man. Yeah, so I stand by that, you know. It's like, you can't expect people to care, man. You know, and, and you're going to only drive yourself insane by expecting people to care. Actually, it's funny. I saw this somewhere recently, too. It's like, you can't pay people to care. You know, you can't pay people to care about their jobs, to care about the, the community that they either do or they don't. And so I think it's better to, for us to focus on the people that do care, you know, focus on ourselves and what we care about and focus on what we can fix. But again, as I said, man, like, you got to cut people some slack. It's tough out here. It's tough, man. Like, just, just yesterday, I gave a friend a ride to the airport early in the morning. And she was leaving the country because she had literally reached her end. She's, she feels her life is in shambles and she needed some time to go relax down on the coast of Mexico to recalibrate, you know, get her mind right her mind and body right and then that same day yesterday right as i was about to go to sleep my other friend calls me and says he's having a nasty argument with his um wife who's who he's in in the process of divorcing and that he needed me to go pick him up and so i'm like oh man okay you know so i went to go pick him up to help him out and sat there with him in this dark time and let him vent and everything it's like 
And these are just two of many people in my life who are going through tough times that I have to be there for. And so you got to cut people some slack, man. It's like some people don't have the time, dude, the time or the energy to, to, to care about the Illuminati, reptilians, Israel and Palestine or whatever's going on, dude. They're fighting a holy war in their own mind. And so it's important for us to just be there for people, you know, and hold space, as they say. Exude energy for them. Be that example. And eventually, people will slowly care. Like I said, we got to go out there and win. What I mean by that is people only care when you're on the top. When you're on the bottom, people aren't going to people aren't going to care what you have to say. So the more that us awakened people get out there and kick ass at life, meaning being healthy, creating abundance and resources, then more people are going to flock to us, more energy will flow to us, more people will look at us like, whoa, what are they doing? How are they achieving all these things? You know, start businesses, start making content, you know, start building communities, start doing things, building things, performing at your best. People will look at you and say, yo, how did you do this? And when people ask you that, yo, how did you get that way? Or how did you do that? Or what are you doing to, to be so successful? That's when your moment to shine comes and you grab the mic and you say, yo, I did this by the grace of God. You see what I'm saying? I, you know what I'm saying? Like every great fighter fought to win fought to win the holy war in their mind but fought to win so that they could have that one moment that five seconds when they're in front of the entire world and get asked that question how do you feel right now in that moment the world is watching and a lot of times they say i just want to thank god and my family so on and so forth you know so i'm saying proverbially here that, you know, in order to get the world to care, to wake them up, we need to do things to wake them up. We can't just go around slapping people or berating them. You know, we need to go out there and just be amazing. Be amazing and then tell people how it is you got to be amazing. Give people a reason to care. Anyways, uh, I'm getting very passionate over here. I'm about to hit the gym right now, so <laughs> I'm just trying to like pump myself up for this. Yeah, we got this. We got this. Leg day, my least favorite day. But I'm trying to train my bicameral mind to tell myself that it is my favorite day. See how that works. Anyways, this episode's a little shorter than usual, but... I hope that helped, yo. Thank you for everybody for kicking it and hanging out and rocking with me. I've got a lot of cool stuff in the works. I'm still doing uh, interviews myself on other podcasts. I'm actually going to go to L.A. tomorrow to be interviewed in person for a really cool podcast. And, uh, yeah, always working on stuff, man, always working on stuff. And please remember, you know, that you are sovereign. You are free. You still have a chance in this life to be who you want to be. And I've been pushing this message over and over. You still have a chance to start a business, to buy property, to start a community, to help others. If you can still do those things and find a way to do those things, do them. It's going to help 
all of us in the in the truther space in the long run so yeah man love y'all peace